Hello, I'm Phil Svitek, 360 Creative Coach, and welcome to my vlog, where it is both my mission and my pleasure to highlight my creative journey in hopes of inspiring you, giving you specific takeaway. All that way, your journey can be at least a little bit easier. Now, before I fully dive into things, I would like to take the opportunity to invite you to subscribe if you haven't already. That way you get all of my various lessons and episodes that I put out when I put them out. Thank you if you just did, and thank you if you already were. It truly does mean a lot to me, as I hope it does to you. So, let's get into this. Um, lots of things going on, lots of moving parts. Uh, you know, some projects are coming to a close, um, you know, months later, uh, even though, you know, months ago they, in theory, could have been, not could have been, but, uh, you know, mentally would have been preferable to have them done, and I'll talk about that stuff, um, and, you know, slowly making progress on new projects, right, that, that, that ongoing transition from old projects to new projects. And as far as new projects, I've been in the writing phase, right, so just to give you an overview, I'm working on, on, a, on a story that, w- that is intended to be a trilogy of movies, so I'm working on plotting out that, right? And I'm working on my second novel. And so I'm in the midst of writing that slowly but surely. And one of the things that I thought about and identified this past week was the goal of my writing really isn't necessarily to make progress. It is to do it so I can identify the problems with it and fix them. And in essence, the more progress I make in any given session, the more problems I can identify and allow my creative brain when I'm walking around or driving or doing anything else to just do its work and think about those things, right? Because oftentimes that's what happens to me is, you know, when I'm not doing the actual activity, ideas will just generate and pop up. Well, it also only allows me to think of the stuff that I'm aware of are problems, right? And so, you know, the more problems of that I can identify, then my brain is allowed to do its work in that sense. And I, I bring this up because a lot of times writers that I talk to or would-be writers, you, you know, they talk about how hard the process is, and it is very hard. And part of what discourages them is when they write, it doesn't come out perfect. And that's the trick of writing, is that we go through this process, this arduous process, to get to a point where the finished product seems so effortless and and inevitable and natural and gripping and so forth, right? Like the story that we want to read or, you know, in the case of a movie, the story that we want to see, that we're in awe of the talents of the writer. But the talent is not the ability to just create. It's the ability to persist and revise and revise, getting it to that point where it seems that the person is so talented like they made it up on the spot, right? And in that sense, if the goal is to, you know, get there, well, progress is that vehicle 
to identify those problems so you can fix them. At least it is for me. But I think that's a, it's a nuanced way to look at it. And by doing so, it releases this tension for me where you know whatever I have to write has to be great. It's like, no, the goal is just to you know, initiate and, okay, put down just whatever the best idea in the moment is and be like, okay, well, clearly I don't have a better, you know, if I was a comedy writer, like I don't have a better joke here or a setup or whatever, but here's what I got right now. And I'll just, you know, maybe put like, need a situation where character A does this to character B. Boom. And then it's like, okay, cool. I'll just kind of continue. And then the pieces will start to fall into place. Right. And that's the way I think writing can be looked at where it isn't so daunting. You know, I mean, anything just to keep the ball moving forward. That's sort of my philosophy for myself and in us and sometimes what I tell others. And, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, there, there was someone I was working with and I was like, you know what, just literally write a write 100 words a day. Right? Just 100 words a day. And they were like, well, that, that's not a lot at all. I'm like, exactly. That's the point. But guess what? <laughs> you know, for like six months, you've been talking about writing and you haven't written anything. So, you know, if, if in that time you had written 100 words a day, you'd be a lot further along, wouldn't you? So in that sense, yeah, that, that's sort of how I view the process. Um, and this past week, um, sometimes it's good for me to revisit um, just good storytelling truths, if you will, you know, um, not rules for writing, but just principles that have stood the test of time. And so I'm going to go over them with you of, you know, ones that have been very helpful for me. Um, Some of them are new. um, Others are ones I knew before. Some of them are variations of what I used to know, right? And I'm going to go over them in one moment. But before, um, I want to do some quick housekeeping, right? So speaking of, you know, uh, projects, I made a movie, uh, my second feature film called A Bogota Trip. And, you know, if, if you've been following me, you've heard me talk about this. It's about two sets of American tourists who bump bump into each other in Colombia, and then it's a will-they-won't-they type of story. But it goes so much more than that. And we have our next festival screening. This is in Las Vegas. And uh, it is this Sunday, October 30th at 12 p.m. And you can get tickets at tinyurl.com slash Vegas. Just search for block YY. So that's uh, two Ys. And, uh, and yeah, you can check us out, you know, and if you didn't get all that, don't worry. All that information is in the description. So, you know, you can, you can get that there. There's a link provided. You can click it. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, why not spend Halloween weekend in Vegas and also enjoy our movie? Um, it'd be great to see you. It'd be great to have you see the movie. I think you would enjoy it. Um, so yeah, that is the next opportunity. Um, we do have other potential screenings, but we won't know from these festivals for for a while, actually. So um, here is the next available opportunity, right? Um, so take it if you'd like. All right, so 
let's talk about helpful story principles, right? So character activity, you know, character activity is what characters do. And, and a major mistake people think is that character and plot are different. No, they are really synonymous, you know, um, Characters need to take action, otherwise the movie would be boring. And the plot is driven by the characters, um, because if it's not, it feels forced and it feels untrue to the world being created. And so, uh, the way to understand story and characters is to write from the inside out. You know, what, what do the characters want? And oftentimes, what they say they want is not what they actually want or, or even need. You know, and so knowing that um, that distinction, right, and being able to identify that, and something that has been coming to fruition for me with the writing that I've been doing um, is this idea of change comes from um, from two opposing forces, right? Um, divisiveness, if you will, and I think that's just. One of the reasons why I wanted to identify that, because I think that's a good general note in life. You know, we think divisiveness is this negativity, when in reality, most things that, you know, grow, evolve, and so forth, comes from, you know, a clashing of ideologies. And it's in how you handle that disagreement and work towards that solution that can be the positive or negative of it, um, you know, as, you know, talking it out versus violence. But I think too, too often, you know, I, I know certainly from my life, when people bring up a criticism, they might be termed as negative, not part of the team and so forth, when, again, that's, it can actually help the team. And you need those types of people to be, um, part of the discussion. And in fact, you know, one of my best friends, he just seemingly always takes a contradictory view to my own. And we get into this, you know, oftentimes very heated d- discussions. And, you know, afterwards, like, we'll, we'll just like go fully at it. And then afterwards, you know, we'll let our guard down and be like, love you, buddy, love you, um, type of thing. And, you know, I think we've gotten to that place because I recognize that that is beneficial to me because I wasn't always like that and, you know, used to kind of remain upset, if you will, and wouldn't tell the other person how much I appreciate them, that I actually enjoyed those discussions and it forced me to think. And uh, even if I didn't change my mind, it, it, it forced me to come up with better justifications for my own thoughts and so forth. And so... You know, that became a big moment in my life, making sure that I identified that moment of like, hey, you know, I don't always say it. And I know it can feel in the moment like we're just butting heads, but actually this is really awesome and truly beneficial to me. And I, I love this because of these reasons. So if, if I don't say it enough, know that that is true. And you need those people in your life right? Um, the same as you need people that can help uplift you and don't do that to you, right? Uh, there's a time and place for everything, but, um, you know, good stuff can come out of um, divisiveness. And speaking of characters, um, a big 
component when it comes to characters is, you know, are they fully fleshed out? Are they just one dimensional? Things of that nature, right? And certainly when you work in film, you want to have, if you want to attract good actors to roles, you, know, you want to give them something to work with. But what does that really mean to have dimension? I think people get it confused of, you know, just creating quirkiness and so forth or whatever it may be. But true character dimensionality means having contradictions. Because we all are contradictory, right? And it just depends in what ways. You know, the example that Robert McKee cites in his book story is that you know, what if you had uh, a New Yorker, a, a person that gets to New York, right, and they hop into a cab, and this cab driver, you know, seems very nice. They, you know, give tips, um, are jovial, talkative, and all that, right? Just, just seems like a salt-of-the-earth person. But then they drop them off at a completely different location, a dangerous location, and take their money. Now, that's created a contradiction, right? Um, you know, they seem one way, but actually are not. And so, that is what leads to, you know, true characters. So, um, and characters can have many, many dimensions, right? Um, but at the same time, you don't want to dilute it where you have 500 contradictions and then you're unable to actually move the story forward because it's all over the place, you know, uh, trying to catch these character dimensions, right? So like all things, there's a balance there. You know, it's kind of like if everything means something, then it doesn't mean anything at all <laughs> sort of thing, right? Um, okay, so the next sort of very helpful principle for writing. Periodic sentences are the best sentences, especially when it comes to dialogue. And what that means is when, let's say, we watch a movie, we kind of can anticipate what a person is saying, right? And then we might tune out. But with a periodic sense the crux of what they're saying is said at the end. So let's take a simple example. I'm just going to make something up on the spot. Let's say a character says, I can't believe you did it. Right? So it becomes that declarative statement. As an audience, we might not know what that is yet. Maybe we do based on past reference. But it, it identifies exactly what, you know, and so where, so I can't believe that you did it, right? So now we kind of, we, we, we structure the sentence where we have a noun, a verb, and in this case, a pronoun, right? And um, I can't believe that you did that. So what it does is it makes people, it make, makes the audience sort of on the edge of their seat 
waiting to hear the, the sentence, right? They don't want to miss it. As opposed to if you structure it differently, then they can start to tune out because the rest of it doesn't need to be there or whatever. Um, and this is also another reason why when you write dialogue, it's, it's beneficial to break it up into shorter sentences. So that way you don't have a run on and can create these periodic types of sentences. Um, so yeah, have that uh, help you as it may. Another thing that I was reminded of was this uh, Hitchcock quote, right? Alfred Hitchcock, the great director. And he proclaimed once that when the screenplay is written and the dialogue has been added, you're ready to shoot. Um, now, that might not seem obvious of the importance of that, but let's break it down, right? So. When the screenplay is ready and the dialogue has been added. The reason that in itself is, is the important part, and by the way, um, you know, that's a periodic sense too, because shoot becomes the, the thing you're waiting for. You know, when when becomes like this declarative statement. So you're like, okay, wondering when what and for what? Well, when the screenplay has been written and the dialogue added, we're ready to shoot. So anyway, just wanted to kind of uh, underscore that. But a lot of times people fall in love with their dialogue, right? And they try to force dialogue and situations into stories. And then that's when things become didactic. That, that's when things become contrived and so forth because you're just trying to shoehorn in this stuff. As opposed to creating a story and making it the best story that you can, figuring out, you know, plotting it, outlining it, then start creating a treatment for it, and so forth. And then once you get, finally, you get to the writing phase, you know everything that's going to be happening. And so the dialogue becomes that much more naturalistic. Because it's in, in, in fitting and keeping with driving the story, right? Characters say lines of dialogue. And if characters are plot and plot is character, then the dialogue they say has to be true to them and at the same time drive the plot forward. And when you, when you do it from that perspective of focusing on the story and not what the, you know, not what the characters themselves are saying... I mean, you can you can you have to understand like who the character is, and so in your dossier, you might obviously have like you know they speak with a southern accent or a New York accent or whatever it is, right? So you have those types of principles, like you know who the person is, but you're not writing specific dialogue for them for the story. You just have this general sense of like what their motto is or you know whatever, right? Like just their overall speech patterns. And so, you know, you, you craft the story around that, um, knowing who your characters are, how they react in situations, therefore driving the plot forward. And once you have all that, then you write the screenplay with the dialogue and it feels true. That's why, you know, when the screenplay is written and the dialogue added, because dialogue in, in that sense is the last thing to really be tinkered in that way. 
Um, and it, it feels, like I said, truer to what the actual story is for those reasons, because you weren't focused on it and you weren't shoehorning in that stuff. So that's why that's a very important and sometimes overlooked, in fact, many times overlooked piece of advice. Another big thing, when it comes to writing, um, you know, this, I was reminded of this because one of my friends, um, you know, he had written this screenplay and he shared it, just a, a tiny little snippet. And I jokingly said to him, like, because in the, in the script, it just said, they walk out. And, you know, I, got, I was like, is there a better verb for that? You know, they walk out. Um, and it might be nitpicky in that sense, but I think too, too many times we put in adjectives, you know, they walk slowly, they walk quickly or something like that um, to try to give it a, a sense of, you know, context. But really, it's about picking the, the correct nouns and verbs, all right? This is where writing talent comes in. And also just spending the time to make sure you pick out the right, those right things. Like, this is why writing takes time. You know, having a Hemingway-esque knack for getting down to the bone, as opposed to, like, they hammer a big nail, say... They, you know, he beats a stake, right? So a stake is, you know, a big nail. <coughs> it gives a weight to it. You know exactly, like a big nail doesn't, uh, doesn't really showcase, well, how big, right? As opposed to a stake, you exactly know the size of it. Um, instead of saying move slowly, what about they saunter, right? So being... Very purposeful and deliberate with your nouns and your verbs. That way you have to, you avoid adjectives and it makes the reader that much more engaged. And if it is a screenplay, then certainly the actor can look at that and be like, okay, cool. Um, You know, you're you're directing them without over-directing them. Like you're giving them exactly what they need for that scene and boom. Okay, cool. I can do that. So, yeah, my, that's uh, that's a big one, and it's a hard one because I read. You know, I don't read as many screenplays, but I read a lot of books, and there's plenty of times. You know, I can tell like the great writers take the care to select the right nouns and verbs, so that way they avoid adjectives and adverbs. And the not-so-good ones, you know, kind of skip over that. So take that for what you will. The last one I want to talk about um, is this idea, never use the same trick twice. And this is more for, for filmmaking, and it comes from James Cameron. More specifically, I was watching the behind-the-scenes making of Titanic, and watching it just really just made me appreciate what they did. Um, they pulled off so much and created so many new techniques. You know, they could have failed at so many different times with this movie, and yet 
they succeeded. Um, certainly, you know, from, from a production standpoint. The story, I think, you know, I think could have been improved here and there. But certainly from the technical aspect, it, it, it is a true marvel to, to take in. And part of how they achieved that was that guiding principle of never use the same trick twice. So whenever they created something and, you know, would essentially fool the audience, it's like a magician. Now the audience is going to be tuned in for that. And if you do it again, they're going to see it as a trick and it's going to break that illusion, that, that, that suspension of disbelief that, you know, <laughs> that these actors are on the real Titanic. And so to avoid that, they literally used every trick in the book and had to, in fact, invent quite a number of them to pull off these things. And I think that's, that's a good piece of advice, you know, and um, one that, in some sense, instinctually, I guess I kind of stuck to it when I think about it. And... You know, obviously, I <clears throat> I haven't done it to the level of him, or Titanic, or even just most movies, but, you know, <clears throat> filming scenes when the actors aren't there, but cheating in such a way where shooting over one person's shoulder, and they have a piece, piece of clothing to see the next, and making it look like they're connected, um, using green screen to put people together in a scene, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and all, all kinds of stuff to make it seem like, you know, people are at a location or wh- whatever it may be, right? All these kinds of things, you know, I've been doing. And perhaps maybe I did out of instinct because I love magic. Um, and magic and movie making to me are very synonymous in many ways, right? But, yeah, I think, I think that's worthwhile to, to keep in mind. As a filmmaker, never use the same trick twice. It doesn't mean not, uh, you know, you can use it across movies, but just in the same movie, you don't want to use it multiple times. So yeah, those are kind of the helpful principles that I've been thinking about that that have helped shape um, what I'm working on. And, you know, I don't know if it was because of this or I'm getting into the sort of final deadline of it all, but... You know, if you've been following me, I've been working on a 90-second pitch for for the trilogy that I talked about, you know, with, with uh, that I'm working on. And this 90-second pitch has to essentially convey what all three movies are about, enough where you get the characters, the emotional weight of what and why people are doing it, you know, get you interested, and all that. And really, you're doing this in like 200, 200 to 220 words, depending on the size of your words and how fast you speak. You know, you don't want to speak too fast. So you can range from like 180 to 220, let's say, words. That's not a lot of words to convey quite a lot. And, you know, I've been posting various drafts of this pitch on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash philsvitek. Uh, for those of you who are curious, you know, that's one of the one of the benefits is kind of uh, behind the scenes access, look at some of this stuff. And 
you know, for a while, it was working overall, but the emotional weight wasn't as big as I liked it to be. And certainly the ending didn't have the gravitas that I was aiming for. And finally this week, it just, the dam broke open, right? I, I think now I'm at a place where like, okay, this is, maybe it can be improved in, in ways, but but even if, it, if it's not, this feels really, really good. And I feel really good about delivering this one, right? So... Yeah, and, and and that journey of when you're working with so few words, I mean, I think that's what made me really appreciate just the choices made in verbs and nouns and being very selective and just really appreciating the writing process in a completely different way because, as I said, you know, 220 words is not a lot to convey this information. So you have to be very deliberate with every single line that that you put in because even if you put in like a five word sentence that could be three seconds you're essentially wasting or it might set it might send the audience in a different direction right it has to be clear enough where you know they can imagine certain things but not in a way where now all of a sudden their minds are wandering and they're no longer listening it's a it's a very in a way, it's like marketing. You know, great marketing is a creative act. As opposed to being cookie cutter. So, you know, um, that's the way I, I kind of approached it. Speaking of marketing, one of... So, this past weekend... or this past week, rather, I saw Triangle of Sadness. Which is this black comedy film made by the same person who made Force Majeure and The Square, if you're familiar. And I absolutely loved it. And what I loved about it is that it was funny, but it had something to say. And I think too often times we look at movies, if they aren't like truly deeply serious from start to finish, that, uh, that they're not as valuable, that they're not as good, let's say. I mean, just look at the Oscars, you know, in the, in the best picture category. There's not comedies. And it's like, why, why do we devalue comedies? Now, you know, in this sense, it was very humorous and therefore it allowed us to see aspects of our world in a different light, but in a true light. And it opens up with these male models and in one of the funniest scenes I've seen in a, in a while about, you know, one of the models gets asked, you know, are you, is this campaign for a happy brand or a grumpy brand? He's like, what do you mean? Well, happy brand means, you know, that that you're smiling. Um, it seems attainable. The, the, the product is, you know, relatively cheap um, as opposed to a grumpy brand where, you know, you're looking down on your consumer <laughs> And, you know, they brought up, like, the happy brand became, like, H&M, and the grumpy brand became, like, Balenciaga, right? And it's just such an interesting observation that, that is so true, but I hadn't, like, noticed in the world that, like, gave it definition. And so I loved it. And I'm going to 
you know, I this is a movie that I absolutely enjoyed, and I think it was great because I didn't know much going into it other than that it looked like a great movie, and people spoke very highly of it. And that was enough to get me in the door, and where it went was just a thrill ride. It was a true roller coaster experience of a movie with the audience. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But jump, using kind of models and, you know, uh, I've kind of been talking a little bit about marketing. One of the interesting things that, that I consider is this idea that many people try to be brands. And the problem is people aren't brands. They're humans. So we talked about dimensionality, right? As a character case um, and creating interesting characters. And listen, I'm not this expert on social media or marketing or things of that nature. But at the same time, I do know what I want for myself. And I also observe people that are termed influencers have to act and only post certain things because, you know, they they pigeonhole themselves into thinking they are just a brand and so forth. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, you know, like people that make money off of social media by being influencers my bigger thing is like, what are you influencing, right? Like just, you know, you can't just be an influencer. You have to have the subtext of, well, what's the thing, right? You know, you could be a person that loves, like I've seen people that love math and teach math and they're influencers in that way, right? Um, I think the obvious one is like clothing and, you know, sneakers or just apparel in general. But I think you don't go beyond that. Um, so it, you know, when someone says that they want to be an influencer, it's like, well, what's an influencer of what? Anyway, uh, I know I'm kind of rambling and going every which way, but for me, I just, I don't know. It, for me, it doesn't resonate to look at myself as like one thing. And, you know, it, people have certainly identified that in me that I do quite a lot, you know, and, and it's, I use the term 360 creative coach um, in part because I do recognize that I have to have some branding around it. And, and I do like that idea, like 360 implies, you know, essentially everything, but, but I, I'm a human. I have many, many interests that, yeah, sometimes contradict themselves that, you know, I like soccer. I like movies. I like uh, anime. I like uh, you know, nature, like all these different things. Like I'm not just one thing. And it's in fact why I think th there's this term that like people say he's not that, he's not like that in real life. So meaning, you know, at work, they might be a little bit more stern and so forth, but quote unquote, when they're not at work, aka real life, they're not stern. And I don't know, I, I think it's BS because it's like, why are we making the distinction between what does that mean, real life versus not real life? Like when they're at work, they're not real life? I just think it's a bullshit term because we have a multitude of personalities and we often fit our personalities towards a, a situation, right? This is where like understanding character dimensionality comes in. You know, you have to like, when we're trying to achieve something, 
part of the tactic is switching up our approach. And so, yeah, how we act at work might be different than how we act with our family for the very reason we have different goals within that, you know, and, and, and different pressures if, if you want to term it as such. Um, and that's what makes us human. And that's why I think like to just pigeonhole a person into like this brand, no, you're, you're human. And one of the reasons I even bring this up is because, you know, again, listen, if people are happy in their life, great. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. And like, that's what we want. But oftentimes, when I, there, there's certain people that just get so stressed out about the idea of having to just maintain their status as a brand when they're, they're a real person. And when they let their guard down and kind of showcase the different sides of them, you know, sometimes the audience is like, oh, it's great to like know your personality. And I think that's a great aspect of social media that can, that can really be beneficial is when, <coughs> excuse me, when we embrace ourselves and, and kind of let people in and listen. You know, let people in doesn't mean be, you can define that how you may. You know, I think Gary Vee is very open on his process, but his personal life, you know, his kids, his, his family and so forth, very private. In many ways, you know, I'm open with the stuff that I choose to be, but uh, but the other ins and outs, no. You know, so you get to define that ultimately. Um, I think that, I don't know. I think there's, it's an idea that I haven't necessarily fully fleshed out, but just the idea that, you know, you're not a brand, you're a human, and the idea that, like, just act like it, you know, embrace that, uh, I think will lead more people to happiness than not. All right, so getting back to Triangle of Sadness, one of the things that it made me appreciate was that foreign markets, foreign film studios, unlike Hollywood, there's an inherent value of art which allows them to take bigger swings. And I really, really love that. You know, I've started to look at that and appreciate that as a movie maker myself, right? And so, you know, as I kind of consider things, because oftentimes when it comes to the film market here, you know, people will say, well, it is a business at the end of the day. And it's like, that's true here. But, you know, obviously, like, everything wants to make money and so forth. But the fact that there's, like, actual grants within Europe to just go and make interesting art for the sake of it, that appeals to me. And, you know, I think... As I continue, um, like all things that I try to do, is combine the best of any world, right? And so I, there's plenty of things I like about the, the Hollywood system, but the big swing aspect and all that, I like that about foreign territories. And so for me, it's like, okay, how do I combine that to, to create the stuff that I want? You know, that, that's kind of like what I've been thinking about 
um, and how to navigate within all of this. And if nothing else, you know, one, one of the things that, um, that I can declaratively say is I really don't want Hollywood to re- continue to remake foreign movies. You know, they did it with um, Force Majeure. Will Ferrell was in the Americanized version, and it was just so watered down. They're trying to do this with a movie called Another Round, which was about a group of teachers that uh, experimented with the benefits of alcohol. Like, you know, at what point did drinking become inhibitive, you know, as opposed to just being buzzed where they could actually teach better, right? Um, It's an amazing, amazing movie. And they want to remake that. And I just think the remakes, they don't get at the, they don't capture the magic, the spirit of what the original is. And the original already exists. So as audience, audience members, I encourage you to actually see the original piece of work of these foreign movies. You know, I love foreign cinema, as I said, like I really have just more and more of a true appreciation because they just take these big swings and when they succeed, it's magical. It really is. So, yeah, I've been kind of thinking that about that. Um, some of the more, let's say, nebulous mental stuff that I've been thinking about is this idea of gratitude versus entitlement. You know, whenever we feel like we have something, take like, you know, take an example of buying a lottery ticket. And if in your heart, you feel like this is mine, this is mine. When in reality, like you never had it to begin with, and then you find out that in fact you did not win. There's this gap that opens up within you that, like, as if something was taken. You had it, but it was taken. When in reality, it didn't have it. You just, you just kind of assume that you had it, and now you're being sad and angered by it not being true. And. That's why I think, you know, I, I continue, like, how I look at gratitude and the, the, the role that it plays in my life really has been beneficial because I don't look at anything as if it should be handed to me, you know. Um, I aspire to many, many things and will keep working towards those things. But when they don't come, I'm not upset by them as much as I used to be. Not always, but as a general rule, like that's the trajectory that I'm headed and I want to continue to head on, you know? Because one of the things that I've realized in this year is I've had the biggest number of wins this year, and I've also had the biggest number of, you know, losses. And what I mean by that is, you know, just on a career trajectory, in, the, in this past year, I put out my first novel. You know, I finished my second movie, A Bogota Trip. We've been a part of 
already various festivals. We've gotten some victories with the festivals. As I made note earlier, um, we're having another screening uh, this Sunday, October 30th at 12 p.m. in Vegas. And, you know, all those feel great. And yet there's also the negative aspects of the world, but also just from a career perspective, you know, as many uh, of the festivals that we've so far gotten in, there's a lot that we haven't, Um, you know, and just in general within this business, you face a lot of rejection, you know, I'm talking about, I, I talked about like the pitch for my trilogy, you know, this is all so that I can, you know, practice it and hopefully, you know, in time actually pitch it to try to get some finances for it and we'll see. And a lot of that can be rejections, but, you know, hopefully there's there's enough there that I, I get at least one yes or maybe two, ideally, or whatever. Maybe, I, I listen, ideally, of course, all of them would be yeses. They're not always going to be the case. But that's an interesting, you know, um, I like the corollary between this year is the most victories I've had as well as the most losses. But it, and I think I say corollary because I'm taking those swings and I've worked very hard to get to this place to have these various projects in contention to be able to get those victories as well as the losses. And some people, obviously, there's that adage, you know, if you never try, then you can't fail. And I think that that is what keeps people down. You know, the, listen, the, the, the rejections and the, and the fails, they don't feel good. They didn't. But I have learned to shift my mindset and just embrace it as part of the process because it, it does get me to those victories. You know, Winston Churchill had this quote that success is going from failure to failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. And I do try to embody that. And, you know, one of the things that I've had to get my mind around is this idea that uh, sometimes my will is not enough. You know, let's say when I, when I played sports, specifically soccer, but I also did some track um, in high school. But I could like, there, the rules of the game were defined. And so I knew the objective and I knew how to win and I knew how to push my body and everyone else to try to get those victories. In real life, we play by an undefined set of rules, ultimately. You know, players are both known and unknown. And so, you know, my will sometimes isn't good enough. You know, like I could do all the right things to try to get accepted into a film festival, let's say. But doesn't mean, you know, I get in. Like there's not a certain checklist that they're looking for in terms of, you know, a movie. They might. They're not going to let you know what it is. 
uh, at least not beyond like, hey, you know, feature film is anywhere between 60 minutes to 120, you know, needs to have, if it's not in English, it needs to have subtitles, like just the basic requirements, <laughs> right? Um, and that's okay, you know? Um, that's where perseverance comes in of like, okay, yep, you know, all right, this, this didn't work out. We'll call it, you know, um, you determine as a failure, right? Um, I don't think of it that way necessarily, but for, for all intents and purposes, as part of the definition, a rejection can be a failure. And it's like, okay, cool, you know, on to the next, on to the next, without loss of enthusiasm. That's, in essence, perseverance to me. And that's how I really like to look at it, you know, just this ability to keep going, keep trying, and and seeing it through to the victories. So that the overall is a victory in spite of the many losses along the way. You know, it's it's if it was war, it'd be like we may have lost the battle, but we're not gonna lose the war type of thing. So yeah, that's um that's kind of what I've been thinking about. Another um I just want to kind of say this, you know, since uh more and more I've been really thinking about history and learning from history to better set myself up, to anticipate things, and, and also just deepen my writing. There's, um, but there's this quote, um, history is the symptom and we are the disease. And I thought about that. I, I like that because, you know, there's that term that might be more familiar of history repeats itself. And it's like, well, why does history repeat itself? Well, because it's a symptom of our disease. And when you really kind of think about that it's like okay well what, what's our disease and in a broad sense is that we're not at inner peace with ourselves and we have this hatred towards the world we, we always otherize an aspect of the world and think the world needs to change as opposed to ourselves and i'm being a little bit more broad with it maybe not always but in general you know that seems to be the consensus. And so for me, whenever I get upset with the world, it's like, okay, well, what can I change about myself and what can I do to help change that as opposed to, oh, well, the world needs to be better and I'm perfectly fine. So whatever that's worth, you know, that's something I've been thinking about, especially as, you know, elections are coming up, as the state of the world, you know, continues to be that the way that it is and you know within all of this I do try to ask myself like what's the maximum um, what's the maximum effect I can have where you know yes my time is limited but I don't want to just at the same time do the bare minimum right because I think sometimes people get lost in that that way of it and we end up just with a gluttony of banal posts and think think the same things. Whereas whatever the issue is, for me, I at least try to really observe it, look at it, examine it, understand it. And then reflect on it to create, in my own words, even if it is the same thing as everybody else, but, but add my own way of it. To, to showcase an effort. You know, I, I was talking with one of my friends, um, Jesse, and we were talking about 
just how Facebook, you know, just allows you to write happy birthday to somebody. And, you know, and not that we were discreet, we were just like kind of bringing up our observations. And he was saying how he just hates that because it's such a like minimal thing and it's like it doesn't even matter. And I was like, well, the irony is it's so simple and yet so few people do it. <laughs> even just putting that bare minimum effort actually can brighten someone's day and that's why I try to do it. So it's, you know, um, it, it's very interesting. And I think, I think there's something to be said and I think people recognize when someone does put in the effort versus somebody that doesn't. When it's a copy and paste versus, hey, you actually took, took a little bit of time. Even if you didn't say or do a lot, just the thought of doing it and having done it represents something greater. <clears throat> so yeah. All right. So um, to round things out, uh, just a few quick things. Um, one of the things that I've been sort of wildly fascinated with is artificial technologies and the the advancements being made in that. And you know, um, as we close out the year and perhaps into the new year, I really want to focus on what's out there and how it can help me with the things that I'm doing. You know, there's, there's this thing called mid-journey that my friend Jonathan Moulton was showing me. And it's not perfect. It, it's basically a tool that allows you to create sketches. And it's not perfect. But, you know, I was saying to him, like, if you're, if you're a storyteller of any kind, like, it can create some great just conceptual designs just to get you started. And... So I want to really explore that space and see what's available um, and how I can utilize it, right? Um, I think certainly as a filmmaker, there are all these tools and sometimes we shy away from technology, but technology can liberate us and and do quite a lot more. And, And for me, it's always whenever I've embraced the, these trends, that has allowed me to create great work for cheap because I can, you know, piece together and see a utilization of these things that, you know, some people might have been using, but on a higher scale and I can figure out the low cost of it, or I can like combine two things to create something that was unintentional and, and put it together. Right. So, um, I'm really excited about that exploration. And if you know of any like awesome tools, please, you know, comment down below or hit me up on social media at Phil Sweet Tech. Let me know. Like, I would love to, you know, put them on my list and, and, and deep dive some of this stuff. And, you know, if you can be specific with, you know, what it is and what you're using it for um, or why it's of interest to you, then that'd be awesome. Uh, the last part, um, you know, I talked about gratitude. And this past week, couple of like last minute jobs came up one where I got to go and do do an interview not me but like I I was um filming and setting it up for it this interview with a great composer and uh, that was a lot of fun um I also went to the East LA classic high school football game where the Black Eyed Peas played yes the Black Eyed Peas played at halftime um, and for for a high school game, incredible. I got to be a part of that. 
you know, film it and just observe it. And yeah, like I, I, I look at my life and I'm so grateful for all these opportunities. And in some sense, you know, they took time away from the writing process and so forth. But at the same time, I think that's where people can get frustrated. Whereas, you know, because like they, they solely want to, like, I want to, I want to write my music. I want to do this. And they're like, I never get enough time. And yeah, the time can be limited of being able to do your own stuff. But for me, this does feed my soul. And, you know, um, I got paid to do both of these things. So certainly that allows me to then put that money towards things of this nature. So yeah, I don't, I don't shy away from it and I'm not entitled to think that like that I'm just going to get to make the stuff that I want to make. I know I have to like fight for that and make the time in spite of everything else to be able to do it. And for all those things, I'm grateful. So I think it's uh, about a perspective shift. So that's what I have for you this week. Thank you as always for taking the time to tune in. I truly appreciate you. Uh, as I may mention, all the various things that I've kind of discussed, the links and so forth, you can check out more um, in the description box. They're all linked to there. Um, I kind of made mention of my Patreon page, patreon.com slash philcetech. That's a simple way to support me while also getting more direct interaction, uh, if that's something that's value to you. Also kind of a look behind the scenes there. Um, or perhaps, you know, you just want to dive straight into a full coaching session that is available to you as well. So, yeah, check out all that stuff. Um, But uh, regardless, I will continue doing these episodes for free so you can continue to learn and benefit from them. Um, So thank you so much. I appreciate you. I'll see you next time.